Well, good morning, Anthem. We are uh, obviously continuing in the Gospel of John, and we just finished uh, the upper, what's called the Upper Room Discourse. And the Upper Room Discourse in John's Gospel is chapters 13 through, well, really 14 through, uh, through 16, and it's Jesus' last words, uh, really, the most important things that he gives them for when he's going to be leaving his earthly ministry and then be departing at his resurrection and ascension. And, and Jesus essentially there gives the disciples unpacks, how do we follow him? What are the things we need to be doing? And so we've been talking about this seek, eat, uh, speak kind of model and rhythms or habits of the Christian life and following Christ. We're going to come back to those, so if you didn't catch those, um, I'll hit those again. But one of the things with that and, and because what we're coming to this morning is, is what's called the high priestly prayer. It's just, I love John. There's like these epic passages after epic passage after epic passage. And I'll say, this passage today, what was just read, those five verses, if I had to pick uh, a passage that is my favorite in the Bible, I don't think you're supposed to have favorites in the Bible, I don't know. However, this would be it. Um, so this, this is just right at the core. I love the truths that are captured here. Um, we could spend five weeks on these five verses, let alone we'll be covering through verse 19 this morning. Uh, but one of the things that is captured here is this prayer between Jesus, the Son of God, and his heavenly Father. Because one of the things ab about the Christian life is what we talk about seek and eating and with one another and praying and different habits and disciplines of the Christian life, it's easy to make faith a formula. Uh, it, it can be easy to think that if we just go through the actions, like it's just kind of there's an equation. If I just do this and this and this, then it'll all just kind of work. I can force it. Uh, but what's captured here after Jesus just taught the disciples how to live is this reality that they need. See, what Jesus is going to be praying to the Father, we're going to see here is, and, and by the way, one of the ways I, I think about this is this prayer is God speaking to God about God things. These are big things. These are, are deep and big God things. And one of the things that Jesus says here is that he prays for us to have eternal life in him. Now notice that doesn't just say eternal existence. Because the message of Christianity is not merely just that we would exist forever. The message of Christianity is that we would have eternal life. And, and what Jesus does in this prayer is he kind of pulls back the veil and allows us to see where that life is found, which is life is found, the life we're meant for is actually found in God himself. Now, when I say that, you're like, well, what does that mean? Well, let me give you a, I, I, I heard this once, somebody had, had, had witnessed this, uh, seeing some, ball, I don't know if it's ballerinas, but it was some kind of dancers who were practicing. And these dancers, as they were practicing, he said the first one uh, put in their earbuds and they began dancing and the dancing was just like seemed very energized. It was very fluid. Uh, there was just kind of a flow to it and there was this joy and the, the ballerina just seemed to like be energized by the dancing and she was going through the motions and it was just this beautiful thing to behold. And, and then there was another 
I think it was a teenager who saw this and they were wanting to dance like them. And, and, and so what they did was they, they started mimicking the moves and they started kind of going through the motions, but obviously the dancing was a little bit choppy and, and there was kind of a little bit of stumbling and, and it looked like after a while as they were dancing, there was almost just this grimacing, trying to copy the moves. And, 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 and if anything, instead of it seeming like the first dancer could have just kept going and going and going because they were energized by the dancing, the second one just seemed to essentially run out of gas and go like, I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of done now. And, and the difference was, they said, when they asked afterwards, was that the first dancer in the earbuds could hear music. And, and she was dancing to the music that is her favorite music in the world. And the music energized her. And the second dancer, it was clunky because they couldn't hear the music. The reason why I share that is because it applies to what we're going to talk about today and why Jesus is praying this prayer. It, it can be easy to kind of look around, see what we think is maybe like, this is how you follow Jesus, this is what it looks like to be a Christian, or cultural things we could assume, all kinds of things. We know how this goes, churchianity. And, and what happens is when we go through, we can begin to have a spiritual life where it's just we're like the second dancer going through the motions. We're kind of copying what we think works, but we don't hear the music. And what Jesus is praying for here is that we would hear the music. Jesus is praying that we would hear the music of the life of God that we are intended for. And so what we're going to be looking at this morning, and what we're looking at really overall, is how do we turn up the music? How do we turn up the music? First, we're going to look at the music. What is the music? Uh, second, uh, how we dance to the wrong tune. How we end up dancing to the wrong music in life. And how that's what actually drives our lives. And then three, how to tune back in, how to turn up the music again. So let's pray and we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, here as I'm praying, Lord, it's not lost on me that we're, I'm about to speak on a passage that captures you, Jesus, praying to your Father. And this is a prayer about speaking on a prayer. And, and Lord, we just ask that as we plumb this, Lord, that we get this intimate look into this interaction of you, Jesus, and Father, speaking and assuming and discussing, disclosing things, that if you didn't disclose them, if you didn't say that these are real things, then we'd be tempted to just think we're making these things up. Help us to grasp the magnitude of these truths that are here. And not only grasp them with our minds, but for them to grip our souls. From not just to be true in our minds, but to work down into our bones. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in, again, this passage, this is God talking to God about God things. Now, the question is, why would Jesus include this prayer? Why would Jesus include this prayer? Or why, well, maybe I should say, why would John include this prayer of Jesus's? Uh, just go through verses 1 through 3 again, because we're going to get this theme that is really at the core of John's whole gospel. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So the whole point of this prayer, 
Right at the middle of it, Jesus says, the whole, the whole reason why I came is so that they would know eternal life. And that life is in you. Look at it again, that phrasing, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now, this should strike us because oftentimes when we think of eternal life, I don't know what you fill that in with, but we tend to fill it in with like all these ideas of, you know, heaven. But notice Jesus doesn't say, and this is eternal life, going to heaven. This is eternal life. Uh, all of your dreams will come true, right? This is eternal life. There'll be no more sickness and death. This is eternal life. All of your uh, aspirations and desires will be fulfilled. On and on and on. He doesn't say any of those things. Some of those things are good things, and those are true things. They're all evil and death will be banished, and we will have this eternal life in heaven. But notice what Jesus says. The essence of the life that we're meant for is that it's life with him. In other words, it could be easy to read that and go, well, what is that? Well, it's everything. It's everything we are made for. Now, I think oftentimes, while the Bible will present this, when you see this theme in Scripture, you see it over and over and over again, just popping up everywhere you go, that God's saying, "You're, you're meant for a relationship with me. I made you and designed you for a relationship with me. I'm the creator. You're my creature. You're made to know me. And walk with me. And that's what human beings and humanity deeply yearns for. All the things that we run after are ultimately trying and attempting to find that reality and to return to it. All the good things, all the misplaced and perverted things, they all are towards that. Now, I think part of the reason, if we're honest, it's hard not only to comprehend this, But I think there's something that is underneath how we think about God that keeps us from seeing what a beautiful reality this is that Jesus is describing here. Because I think one of the things is when we think about God, I I think we tend to think about God as kind of a, well, I'm going to put it this way. Uh, We tend to think about God as a blob. Uh, we tend to, you know, like, we have this, like, the old man in the sky. We have kind of, but I think we tend to think, if, if we, we're honest with ourselves about our default, when we hear God, we kind of think about this static kind of, uh, dis, like, just disembodied, distant kind of cold reality. And that's how we tend to think about him. And so how do we get that picture of God? Well, one of the things, and I'm going to, just a little bit here I want to unpack Because throughout church history, there's been this development. How do we talk about God? How should we talk about him? And one of the things as we discovered how to talk about God was that over time, this idea of God just kind of became this static, cold, he's God, oh wait, he's more of like this blob in my mind. Because over time, over it took about three centuries, four centuries to describe God as one God, three persons. It took four centuries to get there. And that was from just examining scripture and how do we describe this. We have one God in the Old Testament. Now we have Jesus comes, comes in. He's the son of God. Do we have multiple gods? Is this polytheism? Like all these things that they're debating. How do we think about this? And so Christians have described God as one God, three persons. But one of the things is we tend to think of God in terms of with that like substance. Because so much of it is trying to explain the essence or the nature of God. But we tend to then begin to think of God as just kind of this substance, static, impersonal perhaps just an idea or an ideal. And so this is why the church fathers and throughout church history, you see this thread that begins to emerge that they keep emphasizing that his three persons constitute his being, okay? 
that God's three persons constitute his being. I know I'm getting a little nerdy here, but I'm coming in a different route than what I normally do when we talk about God and the Trinity and eternity past and why this is important. Uh, And so as what we've seen so far, this is why John again and again and again is capturing what Jesus is saying where he's emphasizing that the Father has sent the Son and now the Father and the Son are sending the Spirit into the world. Because what Jesus is trying to break down is, yes, I am one God, three persons, but I'm not God in terms of just I'm this static entity in some way you might think of, but I relate to you. I have life in myself. There's one Eastern Orthodox uh, theologian who actually just passed away about two weeks ago. He says this, that is to say the substance of God never exists in a naked state. That is without a mode of existence. And the one divine substance is consequently the being of God only because it has these three modes of existence which it owes not to the substance, but to the one person, the Father. So again, what he's saying is, God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so God defines himself, not as just kind of this entity as like, I'm God. But the way we know God and who God is, is from eternity past, he's been the Father in relation to the Son, and the Son in relation to the Spirit. And that relationship John describes in 1 John in a letter that he writes probably about the same time as his gospel where he says God is love and the reason why he can say that and that's not just merely some kind of sentimental idea right and in our day we throw around you know kind of like love like it's Pez, you know, like we just kind of dispense it everywhere and it has all these different meanings. It's like, what, what does that mean? And it's like nailing jello to a wall. Well, John defines it. He says, God is love, not love is God. It's not your opinion or notion of love becomes God. Then it just becomes your desires become God. But rather God is love. And what, the reason why John can say that is because of exactly what Jesus is doing here in this prayer, which he's capturing the fact that God is love because from eternity past, he's been f- the Father loving the Son and the Son loving the Spirit. In other words, God is a triune being of relationship and love, and out of that love is a delight and an expression of that love. And so this comes to something you've heard me talk about again and again, so I'm sorry if it's repetitive, but I think it's so incredibly important to what we see in Scripture, and we've lost it in the modern age as Christians, which is that from eternity past, God exists in that triune community. He overflowed in an expression of that love, and that's why the world we live in was created, because that character of God, that love of God, that holiness of God, that righteousness of God, it went public, and like an artist, he expressed it, and it's called the cosmos, and it's called creation, and this is why it says in Psalm 19:1, the heavens declare the glory of God, because all of creation, we live in a theater of glory, of God's holiness, of God's love, of God's righteousness gone public, put on display, and we are made in the image of God. And what that means is that we, humanity, have unique capacity to join in that love, join in that delight, to not only relate to God, but to relate to God in accordance with that love and that delight and that righteousness and that joy and that peace. And that's what Genesis 1 and 2 paints a picture of. And so the reason why Jesus prays here, that they might know the life, the life, the eternal life, 
the only true God. He says this, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent is Jesus is saying, I have come from life unimaginable. The life that you were made for, the life that your soul is looking for, and it's found when you are returned to relationship with me. These are profound things. And see, here's one of the, the implications of this, is this means that, that the Bible, another thing about this is it means that the Bible is not merely, and Christianity and the gospel is not merely about, let's put it this way, it's not merely about closure, but it's about a disclosure of life. It's not closure merely for my past sins. It, it's not, it, it is that. The gospel gives us, you hear this, like repent and believe and come to Christ. And so you can find forgiveness for your sins. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice if you will turn to him by faith to remove your sin, to remove your guilt, to remove the death that you deserve. But it's not just closure on that. What Jesus is doing here is he's saying the essence of what I've brought to you, that's just the entry point. He's saying it's, he's also disclosing this life that now we are made for. And so to go back and use that imagery from before that we're created in the image of God and we're meant to take all the raw materials of creation, this glorious theater, and we're meant to take these things in our lives, in our work, in our, do you know what marriage is? Marriage is the next chapter, Adam and Eve being put together and saying, your ideal as far as romance should be to find another person who you partner with. Men find a woman, women find a man. But find another person who you partner with and you together partner in cultivating glory. That's the whole idea of building a home. That's the whole idea of building a family. And then on into building culture and building cities and building neighborhoods. This is the life that Jesus is inviting us into. So it's not, God is not merely a blob. He is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and he invites us into life in him. It's not that God is some distant entity, and he invites us to life in heaven. And it's just like, two, you know, earth 2.0, a little bit upgraded, a little bit better done, but God is still very distant. No, for eternity, what God wants is us to walk in his presence to know him. And that's the essence of the gospel. It's not just the forgiveness of sins. It is that, but it's forgiveness of sins so that then you might have life and you might know God in deeper and deeper ways. See, Jesus is saying is that's the music. That's the thing that so often we miss. That's the thing that should animate our lives, animate our homes, our marriages, animate our studying, animate our working. It's the thing we're meant to have at all points that's playing in our lives, that's driving our lives, that's giving us joy, that's singing over us. And yet so often we miss that life and we make just the gospel about something like, hey, I prayed a prayer, I made this decision, and then it just becomes kind of going through the motions and kind of mock, uh, trying to watch whoever's around you and just model off of that or mock that. But instead he's saying you're supposed to have this life that drives you. So the question is, do you know that life? Is Christianity, following Jesus, this whole thing, this whole church thing, is it something for you that you've just kind of merely just kind of adopted because your family adopted it or just because you're kind of following some friends around and so you just started trying it on? Or is this something where you know the life, that you're pursuing the life, that you desire that life? Jesus says, come to me. I've come to give you eternal life. And that is the life that discloses the glory that he's had with the Father, it says, since before the foundations of the earth in verse 5. That very life we are meant to enjoy forever. 
Now, Jesus says you must be attuned to that song. We're going to look at how do you do that, but if you're not tuned into that song, you'll be tuned into another song. In other words, one of the things in Scripture is you have all these things in Scripture like be in God's Word. We're going to come back to that. But be in God's Word, hear God's Word, believe in God's Word. And people go, well, maybe I just don't choose to follow God's Word. So I'm actually going to just, I, I, I don't choose to follow some religious book. I don't choose to follow an outside authority on my own authority. But here's the, the way, it doesn't work that way that you can just say, well, if I choose to follow an authority, you will follow an authority. You will build your life. You will build meaning. You will pull truth from some source. You have to. It's impossible as a human being. So it's not a question of if, it's a question of what source. It's the same thing that Jesus is going to say here. Your life will be driven by the music something, the song of something. Uh, and, and that thing, whatever that music is, it's not a question of if, but what is it? And does it produce life? So next what we're going to look at is how we turn and how we begin to listen to music, uh, other songs, to live to a different, the wrong tune. Uh, so one of the things throughout this imagery of kind of like listening to a tune, music driving us, it's, it's something that's actually well known throughout uh, world history. Uh, it's, a, it's an imagery that's been used again and again. And, and one of them that's popular is the siren myth. You guys are probably familiar with the siren myth. There's different kinds. I think it's from the Iliad. Um, I don't know why these sirens, they're supposed to be beautiful women. I don't know why they're hawks. This was the only one, <laughs> this is the only one though I could find where the sirens were PG enough for church, if you know what I mean. So, um, but in the, but so we got this. Apparently, cultural standards of beauty, there you go. Um, everyone's got their own standard. But um, these, but usually it goes something like this, that they're, they're traveling along, right, and they have a ship, they have a destination, and along the way, they begin to hear a song that lures them, that seduces them. Right? They, they have a sense of where the journey and the destination is going, and, and at some point they hear the song coming in, and it causes them to steer towards the rocks, and eventually they wreck, and they make shipwreck of their lives, and, or something, they become enslaved, or different ways this goes. But the, the main idea is this, that there's a seduction that comes, that there's a pulling, a song that begins, you know, ah, right? That begins to come, and that song, it seduces them, and they, they see something desirable, and it pulls holes at their soul. Now, I, I share that because it's actually a great picture of exactly what Jesus is going to pray for here. Because in the modern world, we tend to hear that and we go, well, you know, that's, that's cute. That's, that's a cute idea. And, and cultures have had that. But we know it's deeply true. Uh, and, but here's the thing. It's, we could easily think, well, there aren't sirens. But what Jesus says is there actually is uh, a great conspirator. The, the siren, just biblically, is called Satan. Uh, Jesus is going to go on in verses 6 through 19, and he's going to pray for the disciples. And he's going to pray for the disciples, uh, uh, really, at that point, his disciples, the 12 there, but they apply to disciples down through time. But during this prayer, he goes on to say this in verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. See, one of the things, one of the things that we saw a few weeks ago, when Jesus uses that term that um, they are not of the world, when just a chapter ago, he talked about how those who will love the world will hate you. 
And what we looked at was that whatever you love will produce whatever you hate. If you love something, that means you'll, by default, hate anything that's opposed to that thing. Um, and, and so what happens here is that when he's saying those who are in the world, he's describing those who are gripped by the siren song of the world. Uh, those who love and are lured by it. Now, why that's interesting is then what is the way of Satan? Uh, the way of Satan is to lull you to sleep and lull you in, pull you in, seduce you in, in the same way. In other words, uh, we tend to, I, I always think it's funny that we don't, we say as a culture we're materialistic, and like a materialistic worldview, we don't believe in demons and fairies and gods and all this stuff, but yet you go on to Netflix and like every other movie is like a horror movie, right? With like demons and like some 12-year-old girl with her hair down to the like, right? Like, and we have this stuff and it's like, why are we so obsessed with this stuff? Because I think there's something, there's this, we know it's there. We know evil exists. How do we capture this? And and, and mere material doesn't seem to capture the essence of it, just like mere material neurons firing and endorphins doesn't capture love. Uh, but also, so we know there's metaphysical things there, but we have this distorted view where we almost want to play it safe by thinking that the only thing about it is that the devil comes and demons and all this is merely just scary. In other words, the way the devil gets you is he'll scare you. But actually, oftentimes, that's a way to actually disqualify taking the devil seriously. Uh, C.S. Lewis in uh, The Screwtape Letters. If you've never read The Screwtape Letters, I highly encourage you to read it. It's about an older demon uh, who's mentoring a younger demon. And yes, your pastor just told you to read that book. Uh, but uh, where he's capturing, like, how would they, almost like this prayer here, but the demonic prayer that the demons would, how they would mentor one another and the advice they give. And this is the advice that the older demon gives to his, I think it's his nephew, of how to keep modern people from even being aware that the devil's really there. To keep them from taking him seriously, this is what he says. He says, I do not think you will have much difficulty in keeping the patient in the dark. The fact that devils are predominantly cosmic figures, or comic figures, in the modern imagination will help you. If any faint suspicion of your existence begin to arise in this mind, Suggest to him a picture of something in red tights and persuade him that since he cannot believe in that, it is of an old textbook method of confusing them, he therefore cannot believe in you. And, and what he goes on to describe there is just make it think that it's just kind of this old, scary, silly idea of the devil's just there to scare you. He becomes a boogeyman underneath the bed. My daughter this morning came out, I'm scared, and there's something under the bed. That it makes it just this childish thing. There's nothing there but we can play games, can't we? But see, what Jesus is praying here, and the reason why he prays, is because he knows that this, the main approach of the devil, his main tactic, is not merely to scare us. The main tactic of Satan is to seduce us. And, and what Satan does is just like with the siren song, is that Satan plays to our desires. In fact, the way that Satan's strength is that whatever it is where essentially you're not hearing the music, uh, where you're not hearing the music of, of God, where you're not finding life in him, uh, that is the area, that's the angle from which the song will come. Uh, so 
For instance, the Bible will talk about this as, uh, has a term for it. It's called idols. And the idols were, you know, in the Old Testament, a lot of times they're like little statues, but it's a broader term. And it's, it's really meant to capture all the things of creation that we cling to that are in creation when really behind what we're clinging to is a false promise of Satan. And it's a false promise that lures us because idols make half-truths. They promise pseudo-salvations. They promise to give us what we need, what our souls are desiring, the life that Jesus says here that he promises us. And so we grab hold of those things. And Satan will find the very idol, the very thing that is lacking in your soul as far as where you don't have the buds in, where you're not dancing to the music, where you don't hear it, and that will be the very place where he'll target you. And one, there's a, a great list. We actually haven't brought, we haven't used this in probably a year and a half. I have a long list here of different kinds of idols. This is what it looks like. Because often this will come with the phrase, my life only has meaning, I only have worth. And remember, this is life. Where you really get that sense of what makes life worth living, what is worth giving my soul to and lasting for eternity. Even thinkers like Nietzsche, when they tried to think about how you make meaning out of life, have these ideas of like re eternal recurrence where it's like you just make the most out of every moment so it would be the moment you would want to live for eternity again and again and again. Everyone is going, how do I find life and find it forever, even when they're the most committed atheistic materialist? And we tend to find them in these different ways, these different idols. My life only has meaning, has worth. If I lose it, I feel like I've lost everything. If I have power and influence over others, it could be power idol. That could also be a control idol. It, it could be that I'm loved and I'm respected by blank. I, I have an approval idol. I, I grab hold of that guy or that girl or that boss or that celebrity or that person I'm just trying to, or it's just... I think today the cancer of this is that we feel like it's just the crowd. We need the whole crowd to like, literally like everything and affirm everything. I'm completely free of obligations or responsibilities to take care of someone. Independence, idolatry, that one's on the rise. Um, I am highly productive in getting a lot done. This is one I struggle with. Work idolatry. Man, if I don't prove every day that I am sufficient, that I'm enough, that I perform, that I jump over the bar, then no one will really approve of me. Do you resonate with that? Would my spouse really stay with me? Would my kids really love me? Would my friends be my friends, right? We have these thoughts. I'm being recognized for accomplishments. I'm not going to hit all of these, but nice possessions. I'm hearing, you can have religion idolatry, even that, like I'm, I'm known as a moral person and, and no kind of charge that I'm not perfect. Like they go, there goes Jesus, and then there he goes right behind him, right? Like that's me, right? And then the person in my life uh, is in my life and happy to be there or happy with me, individual person idolatry. There's just a person, a person that you've made an idol. And so on and on. We're, we're going to send these out. If you're in a community group this week, we'll be looking at these. We'll have the whole list there. And uh, you can talk through these and just examine them. I encourage you, just read through these and talk about what's there. And here, here's the thing. Un underneath all of these, there, there's something. These are not there so you can always do an idol witch hunt, right? We're always going to find these in our lives. So I don't, I don't want anyone to read this and be like, oh my gosh, there's like all of them are me. <laughs> Look at this, like to some degree. Yeah. But here's the thing, here's the thing. This is why our, our aspirational value, yes, is holiness, but our functional value is that we wanna grow. 
We want to take hold of the grace of God. We want to grow in Christ-likeness. And the beauty here is that the ancient Siren myths, what they say, is the way that they remedy it is that they tie down the captain or the people to the mast. Right? They tie him down to the middle of the boat. You're like, I'm a 20, this is 2023, dude. I don't know what a mast is. It's the middle stick in the middle with like the, the sails, right? They would tie them to it so they couldn't reach the steering wheel and they would be tied there and they would plug their ears and blind them so until they passed the sirens. And there's something in us, I think, when we see that, our knee-jerk, and it's natural, and most of human history, from Stoicism and whatnot, the approach has been philosophically to respond to those things in us, those tensions, those gaps between what we say we believe and how we functionally believe, we become aware of it, just to buckle down, just to kind of grit, and just just to push through it. And while there is a time for drastic measures with things, ultimately the starting place that Christ gives us is not just to try harder. But in fact, what Jesus says is, do you hear the music? What Jesus says is you need to hear a music that is louder, that is truer, that is better than the music that Satan can come sending your way. And, and so that music, before we go into how to hear the, well, let's, let's go into how to hear the music. So Jesus, he invites us to, Tune in to a better song. This is why Jesus prays for his disciples in verses 6 through 19. Uh, but he prays, as he prays, a few specific things that we would, we would do. And I know I just said, hey, it's not about just doing, and it's about believing and being immersed in this reality. So you go, wait, 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 are we now talking about, like, now we just do things? No, here's what it is. In Scripture, God gives us means, what's called means of grace. He gives us means, different ways that we can take hold of. Like, it'd be like the dancer going, I just want to hear the music, and it's like, put the earbuds in. It's like, I just want to hear the music, put the earbuds in. And they're like, why? I just want to hear the music. I don't want to, like, like earn the music. It's like put the earbuds in your ear, right? Like there are certain things where it's like you're not going to hear the music unless you put the earbuds in, right? And so what there are means of grace that God gives us. There's a great statement by a guy, Dallas Willard, Christian philosopher, who says this, grace is not opposed to effort but earning. Grace is not opposed to effort. Over and over again, God says work, Paul says work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He's not saying earn your salvation. He's saying you're saved. You have salvation. Just work it out. There isn't a threat here. Just work it out. Enjoy it. If anything, the fear and trembling is that you would miss it, that you wouldn't enjoy that life. And so there are means of grace that Jesus gives us, and he says a few things here. He's going to pray, one, in verse 17, that we would seek him in his truth. One is that we would seek him in his truth. Verse 17, it says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. (laughs) It's about as straightforward as you get. Jesus prays that we would be in the Word of God. Jesus prays that we be sanctified in an ongoing basis. Sanctified means to be made holy, to be made more like God, not just any standard of holiness, but the standard of holiness is Christ, and that we become more and more like Christ. And, And how does that happen? Well, if we live in a world that's sending us, singing over us, and luring us, and Satan's, I mean, Satan knows us so well, guys. He knows whatever your weak spot is, right? Like when you hear about like pro athletes and then like a guy comes up from the little leagues and he's like hitting home runs. You're like, oh, a new phenom. And then like a week later, he's done. You know why? Because once he gets a few at-bats where no one's seen tape on him. Then after that, all the other teams get to watch tape on him and they realize, oh, he can't hit a slider. 
<laughs> so they just send out a left hand, throws a slider every time. He never can hit it. If he can't adapt, he's done. What happens is Satan knows the tape. Satan knows exactly where your weaknesses are. He knows what the slider is. And, and we are called, what Jesus does is he says, be in my word so that when, you're expo- when my word were exposed to you, where your heart is deviating from me, it'll expose what is the weakness on the tape. And if you're willing to look at it and you're willing to come to me, I will begin to change you and develop you and you'll adapt and you'll be able to hit the slider. I know I'm changing up my analogies all over the place this morning. But in the end of, at the end of the day, what he's saying is, do you hear my word? Every morning, think of being in God's word, going to him in prayer, talking to him about his word. It's putting in the earbuds, turning up the music. If you don't, you're going to go about your day where imagine the second dancer trying to dance and all kinds of other music is playing. You got music coming from this angle, music coming from this angle, music coming from this angle. You'll lose your balance. You're going to stumble. It's going to be gritting your teeth and fighting through it and joyless. And over time, it just wears you down until you just stop dancing altogether. What Jesus is saying is, I want you to have life. My word is a source of life. My word will change you. My word will strengthen you. My word will encourage you. Now, the second that Jesus prays for is not just to seek him in his word, but also he says, turn up the music by being with one another. We've been talking about this as eating with one another. And, and what we mean by that is having intentional times with one another. And often that happens around food. It does. It happens around coffee. It happens around, uh, happens around dinner and breakfast and all, in lunches while you're at work. It happens around food often. And so what Jesus prays in verse 11 is this. He says, Uh, And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Now, I'm not going to unpack this a ton because next week, actually, the final half of this chapter, you could think of this part down through verse 19 as Jesus praying to the Father regarding how we would hear the music vertically to him, right? We would dance. We would live in accordance, live according to that tune. Uh, then when he prays for the rest of the prayer, it's more than he prays horizontally. If we're, if we're first aligned with him and dan- living, dancing to the tune, then we would harmonize and he, we would dan- dance in tune with one another. Um, that we would actually work in unity and harmony. We would all be moving to the same song. Um, and so next week we'll be looking at that. It goes a little bit more horizontal, whereas this week is vertical. But, um, so we'll unpack this more. Uh, but what the reason why we need people in our lives is that we need others who also sing over us. Uh, Satan is the accuser. Satan will say things, and, and, and he will make the most and leverage your guilt. Uh, he will leverage where you have the most shame. And wherever that is, Satan will leverage that to cause you to try to hide that and just live in that and believe that there's no redemption for people like you and me. But what we need are others around us who see exactly that thing. See, shame is this sense that I've done something bad and there are witnesses. Do you know how healing it is when you know, yes, there's something evil, something bad, something painfully hurtful that I've done? 
and others see it and they're willing to apply, apply grace to it and they're willing to move forward. There are a few things in life that are as healing as that. And some of you are in a place, remember in the garden, what do Adam and Eve do? They go and they hide. As soon as they're aware of their shame, they hide. Shame causes us to isolate. I know there are a lot of, you know, we offer small groups and there are different things that we try to do just to facilitate community and building those intentional relationships. And we don't have them at every time slot 24-7, so sometimes they don't work. But here's what I would ask. Are you, are you hiding? Are you purposely isolating to avoid? Are you willing to draw near? Because what God is calling you to do is not just to be, just be vulnerable, but to receive his grace in an ongoing way, or else what happens is Satan continues to sing that song over that thing where you go, oh, I'm not approved, I am failing, and then you have a deeper sense of shame, oh, and there's these hidden things, that is who I am, there is no chance of redemption here, and you go down and down that road, and Satan's song just gets louder and louder and louder. And what Jesus says here is, Father, draw them to one another so that they would sing over one another and they would hear that song. Third, then, he says, then that we speak, that he prays that we would speak. So we tune back in by seeking God, then being with one another, and then also speaking God's word. Verse 18, and as, uh, as you sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. So here, Jesus sends them into the world where the song that's playing is a song that's a siren song, and he sends us into the world with reattuned to the life that we have in him. You know, the other I, the other day, I, um, <laughs> I'm going to say this out loud, and you're going to be like, you're a bad dad. Um, I took my daughter, my youngest daughter, to school, and we were driving there. I was like, you want to listen to music? She's like, yeah. And she was like, party in the USA. And I was like, okay. So we're playing party in the USA, and we're just driving, and we're singing a lot. You know, I got party in the USA, like Christ and she's like, stop, daddy, right? And so we get to school, and I bring her in, and, and we're... Uh, I'm checking her in, and as I'm, I'm signing the sheet and she's going into the room, I don't realize it, but I'm going, party in the USA. Like, I'm sitting there doing this, and I realize the teacher's standing right there by the door. She's like this, and she's like, you having a party today? Like that, and I was like, ah. Oh. <laughs> but what was I doing, right? I had a song, I had a tune, and when we do, we sing it. It comes out, it overflows, right? So suspend whatever you think about me as a pastor for seeing party in the USA. Uh, I clearly have work to do, right? Uh, but the thing is, we will sing, we will overflow with whatever captivates us, whatever is giving us life. We know this, when we say speak, like share who Christ is, live in light of who Christ is, like guys, we... Like, I go around for the last year. There's this guy. Some of you, if you're basketball fans, you know this. Victor Wimboyama. He's, I call him Wemby. He's a French basketball player, seven foot five. next coming of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Anyways, I've been telling everyone about how great he is, okay? Like, for a year. I've been going around, have you seen video of this guy? Let me tell you about this guy. And they're like, no, I haven't. I'm like, let me tell you the good news about Victor Wimboyama. Basketball about to change, right? He's Steph Curry, but seven foot five, right? And so I'm like telling everyone about this. Why? Because I love basketball and it's overflowing. That's great. We tell everyone about our new apps, our new iPhones, our new, uh, this song, whatever it is. We're all missionaries for something. We all speak, we all sing whatever tune has got us. That doesn't mean all those tunes are bad thing. Basketball is not a bad thing. That's great. Like, but there also the question is, has that tune gotten a hold of us so that we're singing and telling of Christ? 
Is there, and, and here's the thing, guys, all around the world around us where there's this restlessness looking for life, and we're in a place right now where our culture, we, we are trying as a society, as things have fallen away and the defaults aren't there, and some of those are good things have shifted, and some of those things prob- are not. We're trying all kinds of ways to find that life and satisfy ourselves. We're amusing ourselves to death. We're constantly just bombarded and trying to find it, and the, the siren songs are all over the place. You may be the only person who sings a different song. You may be the only person who sings a song that is a song at its core of grace. That core is actually of eternal love. And what Jesus invites us to do, if we want to know that music, is continue deep in that music by sharing it with others. As you hear the tune, if you're not singing the music, it makes you be aware, I'm not tuned in. But at the same time, then when we have it, there's a joy that comes with singing along and others hearing that as well. And so Jesus says, tune back in, seek me, eat with one another, speak of me, sing out that tune. God is not some blob. God is not merely providing in the gospel, providing closure, but disclosing life. The Father sent the Son to disclose the heart of God, to disclose the very eternal love of God and invite you and me into that life, to find life in Christ, to free us from the siren song. So this week, tune in and dance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for just this reminder that you, you give us eternal life, that you've, you've There is a song that we so often get disconnected from, a reality, something that we're out of tune with, we're not harmonizing with. And and Lord, would you just, wherever that is in our lives, would you reveal? Would you use that list of of idols? Would you, um, whatever it is, Lord, would you use one another in our lives? Lord, would we go to one another? Hey, do you see any way that I'm out of step, out of tune? And that we would just enjoy, not nitpicking, but enjoy Point each other to Christ. Lord, teach us how to sing over one another. Teach us by having others sing over us and then also just being in your word and seeing how you sing over us and your redemption so that then we would have a song to sing over others. Lord, you have called us to such a great mission, such a great reality, such a great message. And Lord, would you just help us to be faithful with it? We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.